This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, and I am joined, as always, by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado, who is breaking some big news right now. Hey. We, uh, we, we, we've got a big announcement as we get this podcast rolling here on a Thursday, our second pod of the week, uh, and you know we're, we're kind of getting into a new schedule here as, as football season uh, gets going. We're less than two weeks away from Oregon State's football season getting underway. Single digits now, nine days away from kickoff. Uh, we'll be going Sundays and Thursdays throughout the regular season. But I'm going to let Angie take the uh, take the reins here and and kind of announce this um, this news that that I just caught wind of about two minutes ago. Two two minutes. Well, and I just just finalized it here just recently as well. So um, I'm super happy to announce that I just signed. Um, an extension to my contract with 24-7 Sports. So this locks me and Beaver Blitz into the 24-7 network for four more years. So I'm excited about that news and uh, excited to keep building and and growing what we've started here at 24-7 and uh, Beaver Blitz and and all the the fun that we have going on here. Four more years. Four Four more more years. years. (laughs) It means you guys are stuck with me for, for a while longer. Angie is locked up. Beaver Blitz is not going anywhere. Uh, we love having access to all of the features that 24/7 Sports provides, including this podcast network. You see our branding on the uh, on the the podcast logo, and if you're watching us live on YouTube right now, that big 247 down at the bottom. A lot of what we do wouldn't be possible without the help we get from 24/7. So it's awesome uh, that that Angie has has reached this deal to to stay with 24/7 for four years, uh, four more years at at, at least. And uh, and locking Beaver Blitz up there. I don't know. Well. After four more years, they might be like ready to roll me out into the retirement home or something because <laughs> it, it. I'm already like the longest tenured media person, journalist in covering Oregon State right now. So, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. But pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool, cool to, uh, to now, have now Beaver we just need Blitz lock, around for so long. We got to lock lock Carter up. That's that's the plan. But you know, hey. We'll see. Beaver we'll Blitz see. needs to grow a lot more before we can lock Carter up. We'll see what happens. Uh, but as I mentioned, we're single-digit days away from Oregon State's season opener. Exciting times. Fall camp is done. We are ramping up to game week. Uh, the, the team's actually not practicing today, but but practicing 
tomorrow. We're going to talk about their schedule here in just a minute. Uh, but I want to thank everyone who's watching us live on YouTube right now. And for those of us who are listening on the, uh, or for those of you who are listening on the audio side, if you're listening to us, you did something right. You found us again, as we mentioned on the show last week, uh, we had to do some reconfiguration. So if you had trouble finding us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart, um, we, we did have to to switch over to a, a whole new show. Uh, altogether. So our, our feed has changed. So if you were subscribed on one of those platforms before, you became automatically unsubscribed. So make sure to to follow and subscribe on, on whatever uh, app you get your podcast on. You can find us pretty much anywhere right now. So get the, uh, get the word out there, spread the word. Uh, but for those of you who are watching us live on YouTube, be sure to leave some questions in the chat. Uh, we've already had one question come in, say, can we ask questions on here? Absolutely. Uh, throw them in the chat, and, and we're going to try to get to them as we go throughout the show. Uh, we have another pretty full show, so if we don't have time to, to answer your question, bring it to us on Sunday or, or next Thursday or in our weekly Twitter space, uh, which Angie and I did yesterday. We do that every Wednesday. So throw them in the in, in the live chat if you're watching on YouTube and, and know that you have uh, opportunities down the road if, if we don't hit on your question. And of course, you can ask us anytime at beaverblitz.com in the lodge. Uh, available to all of our VIP users. But today on the pod, we are, as I mentioned, going to kind of talk about where the, the team stands right now that, that fall camp is done, hit on some of the defensive storylines on Oregon State's football team ahead of the 2022 season. We're going to hand out some more preseason awards, go position by position down the entire defense, and then just give a couple of general predictions at the end of the show. Same format that we did on Sunday uh, when we previewed the offense. Angie, before we jump in, I got to ask you one one more question. This is what I was going to lead with before you dropped the, uh, the the contract extension bomb on me. Your thoughts on fantasy football. Are, are you going to be playing fantasy football this year? Never done it. Maybe we need a blitz, a blitz league or something. I don't know. I, I don't know enough. Um, and because Sundays for me and you are kind of spent working. So I don't really follow NFL very, very closely. Not gonna lie, that's a little disappointing to hear. But, I, but hey, I'm I'm willing to try. So if if you want to help me, I'm in. Oh, I, I can't help so you in. if I'm gonna be competing against you. Well, that's no, but problem. I mean, we'll set it up, and I'm in. I'll I'll figure it out. Sounds good. There have been talks of a Corvallis Eugene Media League, and so Let's I'm gauging your interest. Oh, I'm in. That you know, gives I'm, us eight. I, I, that gives us eight. I can't not compete. I'm kind of you know, because I'm always gunning for first place. Because two is not a winner, and three no one remembers. I love it. I actually made a pick in one of my <laughs> fantasy leagues right before we hopped on here. Uh, a very deep league with 18 teams that, you know, we're at the very end now. We're picking guys who might not even make rosters. So uh, that was what got me on the uh, on, okay. on the topic of fantasy football. But so let's in. jump into to Oregon State here uh, on the collegiate side of things. So Oregon State wrapped up fall camp on Tuesday, and after practice we spoke to Offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren, wide receiver Anthony Gould, offensive lineman Joshua Gray, and inside linebackers Jack Coletto and Kyrie Fisher. So a great opportunity to talk to some of the guys as camp came to a close, kind of pick their brain on, you know, what the next steps are for this team. Uh, they're actually kind of gearing up for, for game day right now, even though they're not on the practice field. So today is the second, or we're recording this on, on Thursday, August 25th. Uh, so a little context context when I say the word today. 
today is the second of two consecutive days off from practice. Give the uh, give the bodies a little time to recover, uh, catch up on sleep. You know, do all of the important things before you embark on the twelve week grind that is the college football season. And they're also studying some film on Boise State, who Oregon State opens with on September third at Research Stadium. Beaver Blitz will be there. We hope to see many of you at Research Stadium. Uh, some coach and player meetings as well unfolding this week. Some of those conversations a little rosier than others. Uh, you know, some starting jobs are being handed out. And uh, unfortunately, some players are also being told that they're probably not part of the plan this year. So uh, kind of a double-edged sword there with, with some of those meetings. Game prep will resume, or it will actually kind of begin on the practice field tomorrow uh, with their first day of, of really game prep. On, on the practice field. So again, really exciting times in Corvallis. You can kind of feel the energy in the air down there. Uh, again, I was down there on Tuesday and, and just talking with them, you can tell they're, they're very relieved to be through this part of the off season. And, and Angie, I assume you are too. Yeah. I, I mean, I love fall camp and I think it's, especially that first week, there's such an excitement in the air, but it does kind of become a grind, especially early um, just because it's so much of the younger guys. I, I think that's why we were shut out a week ago today. Um, is that they maybe started running some of the the more first and second team a little more um, in depth and, and more more of the playbook was opened up so they didn't want media in reporting on what was going on. Um, but yeah, there is nothing better than now. Well, I say that, but the first day of fall camp I think is the best day of the year. But that first week, game week, and we get as we've talked about several times, just getting into the groove and getting into that routine of game week and and our content plan and um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, football season really starts for for the two of us the very beginning of August when we step on the practice field and, and watch the first day of fall camp. So we've been in football mode for a while, but we know a, a lot of you listening and uh, a lot of you loyal readers of, of BeaverBlitz.com are not necessarily as tuned in during August as you are throughout the regular season, which, I mean, you know, most college football fans do tune in when that that first week kind of kind of gets rolling. But we've been in football mode for a while, so we have got all sorts of stuff to talk about as we preview Oregon State's defense. So let's hit on a couple of the key storylines here uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I, I think one of our biggest uh, you know, areas of focus in, in fall camp was watching the defense and, and seeing if there was any improvement from last year. So it, obviously the main story, you know, if you've even remotely been following Oregon State football for the last nine months, is Trent Bray going into his first full season at defensive coordinator. It's it's a move that Angie and I are both really excited about. The team is fired up for. Uh, and I actually, before we came on here uh, about 10 minutes ago, uh, just wrapped up a story that's going to go live at Beaver Blitz on Saturday about the energy that Trent Bray is going to bring to the sideline this year. Uh, but but Angie, just give me kind of your general thoughts on on Trent Bray before we really dive into what impact he's going to make on this defense. Yeah, it's fun for me just because I have covered Trent Bray since he was a high school student um, and a recruit. So um, I've watched his whole career, kind of the whole span. Um, and what, Carter, I think you can agree with me on this. One of the coolest things about this defense right now is the energy, like you said, those guys bring. And it's all led by Trent Bray. I mean, the players seem excited. Uh, we're seeing a really fast defense. We're seeing guys flying around. We're seeing different formations. This is not going to be that, you know, three, four base defense that we've seen for the past four years. This is going to be different formations, um, different lineups, different blitz packages. 
and, and guys really just flying around. I mean, Trent wants these guys playing fast. He doesn't want them thinking. And uh, I'm excited. I, I think this is going to go back a little bit. It's going to be remi- remind old timers a little bit of, of that, you know, the early 2000s and the Dennis Erickson type defense, a real, a real swagger to it. None of the players around there will tell you that they didn't like Tim Tibisar's scheme and that they were happy to see him go or anything. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that any of them were particularly happy to see him go, but I think they all agree that the scheme they're running now under Trent Bray, it just unlocks so much of their potential and it puts them in more positions to make plays than what they were used to for the previous four years. So one thing that I have heard from multiple players is that they just feel free out there. They feel like they can go and just and just run at the ball, uh, which wasn't necessarily a hallmark of the Tibisar era defenses where they were not necessarily playing timid, but it was more reactionary. I, I think they let the offense make the first move a lot of the time and weren't really trying to set the tone. Uh, they were more just you know playing that bend but don't break style of defense. Now, that's good for certain things. Oregon State was always really good in the red zone, but you saw a lot of big plays. You saw struggles on third down um, and, and just general inconsistencies that I don't think you're going to see as much of with the scheme this year that is predicated on attacking and, and sending guys into the, the backfield and, and getting pocket pressure, making the quarterback uncomfortable uh, and, and throwing various looks at the defense. It, it really is very, I, I think it's very telling of, of Trent Bray's personality. I think you see a lot of his personality in this scheme. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I, what I, what I love is we haven't seen a defense this dominant in fall camp in years, maybe mm-hmm maybe 10 years or more. So, um, and you guys have known, if you guys have followed us much, you know, I've been very, very critical of the D line and pass rush. And I think that's going to take a huge step forward this year, even without the addition of a, of a big D tackle. One question came in here from Ty Tavares, Tavares, Tavares. Um, and, and we're going to go position by position here in just a few minutes. I, he mentions a couple of specific groups here, but I think it's important to touch on this now while we're talking about just kind of the the overall schematics of the defense. So Ty asks, uh, after watching last year's game against Oregon, it, it seemed that the defensive line and outside linebackers got pushed around too easily against Oregon's big uh, offensive front. Do we see improvement physically? Every year there is plenty of of improvement as far as physicality goes. You know, I think Oregon State's got a very, very solid uh, strength and conditioning staff led by Mike McDonald. And year after year, we're always impressed by some of the leaps that these guys make in in the weight room. I don't necessarily know that the defense has put those guys in positions to show that off. Again, in the past, uh, as I mentioned, with kind of the reactionary approach that they took, I think this year you're not going to see them get bullied at the line of scrimmage because they're going to be looking to make the first yeah. move. Yeah. Now the, the defensive linemen are taking steps forward, not backward, as they look to get into the backfield and not contain runners two, three yards downfield. Yeah, it's it's a very much an attack, attack first defense, and and those middle linebackers are going to you know instead of having like Carter said, everyone kind of holding back, taking a step backward to react, you're going to see those that front seven really crunch, crunching in and, and making plays. And if we talk about obviously a position group that wasn't touched on here in this question, but the defensive backfield as well, a lot more press coverage, a lot more man coverage. So you'll see 
corners lined up, you know, a yard off of receivers as opposed to before on third and two, third and three last year, you'd see them sometimes three, four yards off of them thinking, well, how's that going to work? You know, the offense only needs to get two yards. How, why are you giving them five right five. now? <laughs> um, you won't see as much of that this year either. So speaking of Trent Bray taking a new job, he wasn't the only new addition to the coaching staff or, you know, movement on, on the staff. Anthony Perkins comes in for his first year as the cornerbacks coach, joining Blue Adams in the secondary on that staff. And, and Angie and I talked about this on our uh, Twitter space yesterday, which if you haven't listened and, and joined in and asked questions and given your comments, absolutely do that. We're going live pretty much, I think, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. It's been a blast. And that's more of a chat. That's more of a just a chat. We'll talk a little bit, but it's more of a you guys ask questions and give comments, too. So a little different format than than these podcasts. But we touched on Anthony Perkins uh, taking this job and and what that has allowed the defensive backfield to accomplish this offseason. And one of the the big things that I kind of mentioned was that the players and and Blue Adams himself has actually mentioned that Anthony Perkins has really focused on developing some of the younger guys. Well, Coach Blue uh, works on you know solidifying the details and and implementing a scheme with with the more experienced veterans, those guys who you expect to see in the starting lineup. Um, Coach Perkins has been able to to kind of develop those younger guys and and work on their skills. Uh, you know, their skill development, their conditioning, that kind of thing, uh, which I think is really valuable in a group where you have mm-hmm. so many players. I, I think volume wise, it is the largest position group on the team. Uh, having a second voice there and, and having a second body and, and somebody who you can dedicate specifically to one of the two or three positions in that group. Uh, that's that's big. I, I think it's huge that that they brought in some help for for Coach Adams. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that. I, I've said again, I've said this a few times that this defensive back group may be the deepest and most talented that we've seen in Corvallis for 10 to 15 years. I think so too. I mean, you go back to Jordan Poyer, Ryan Murphy, Rashad Reynolds, that era, that's the last time I think Oregon state really had a formidable defensive backfield. And this group has the potential to be as good, if not better. Uh, and certainly uh, it will be helped out by the fact that Oregon state has a stronger front seven and, and much of that is attributable to, Trent Bray. So that highlights the the two coaching staff changes, but there's a big personnel change this year too. And and I, I think there's a, a glaring hole in the middle of the field with Avery Roberts moving on, graduated and and went off to the NFL. You're losing your leading tackler, tackler a guy who led the Pac-12 in tackles for two years straight, a, a really, I think calming presence in the middle of the defense, a vocal leader, somebody who you knew you could rely upon for 10 to 15 tackles a game. And so replacing that production has been one of the keys for Oregon state this off season. Yeah. I mean, he's been your leading tackler now, what, two seasons in a row, three seasons in a row. Um, So it's going to be interesting. Kyrie Fisher is is stepping into that role. Um, And so far, I mean, I like what I've seen, but then you also have Jack Coletto um, in in a backup role, Easton Mascarenas. So um, there are some definite, um, great players there. It's just, it is, you, you have to make up for that production. And that's kind of a, one of the big question marks with the defense. John Miller is another name I'll throw in there. Yes, in the yes. linebacker group. Yep. Uh, absolutely. But, a, but a group Oregon state has relied upon pretty heavily over the last five years. 
essentially all of the other key playmakers from last year's defense are back. And I think that's why Angie and I are so high on this defense's potential, not just the fact that they're running a, a better, you know, a, a scheme that's more well suited to what they have uh, at their disposal, uh, but just the fact that they have so many playmakers and, and veteran guys and, and high level experience that's that's got us really excited about this group and I, I think is also part of the reason it's very reminiscent of those you know 2010 to 2014 defensive backfields that we just talked about yeah absolutely we have really high expectations for oregon state's back end as i just said but angie do you think the front seven is is really going to take a step forward this year because I, I think that is the key to oregon state's defense showing improvement this year i do too i mean Oregon State has struggled for years now to get a pass rush, to create any kind of pass rush. And I, I think that what we're seeing in practice right now is they are way improved. I hope that translates, you know, on, on game day. And I think it will. I love what we're seeing from John McCartan, Corey Stover, some of those, uh, some of those um, Andrew Chatfield. There's some, there's some guys in there that are, are really being that aggressive, coming off the edge um, outside linebackers that are going to make plays. So I do think that is the key to this season. And I do think it's going to be a big, big improvement. A lot of that too is, you know, you're elevating Trent Bray from inside linebackers coach to defensive coordinator. There's no, no inconsistency in, in no. what he wants to run. These linebackers are really familiar with it. Um, and, you know, his, his personality is rubbed off on them and, and they know exactly what to expect from him. So it's not yeah. like you're bringing in an outsider at, at D.C. or you're bringing in a new coach at, at linebacker. I think that consistency is really going to help that group in particular. Uh, but also just the scheme in, in general, I think, is really yeah. geared to get the most out of the defensive line group as well. So if the front seven takes a big step forward, we only expect that to elevate the, the level of play from the, the back end. Because uh, more pass rush, of course, helps those guys who are defending receivers downfield. They don't have to do it for as long. Uh, you know, they might get some some worse throws, you know, kind of tossed their way uh, that they can take advantage of. Really, the whole defense right now is is working in tandem, uh, which it hasn't necessarily done in, in recent history. Absolutely. We're going to hand out some more preseason awards. So last week or, yeah, Sunday, four days ago, uh, at this point, we handed out an MVP, most improved player, best position group, and coach of the year award on the offensive side of the ball. We're going to do that again here on defense. So these awards encompass spring camp, the offseason, uh, into fall camp, basically just the entire offseason, what we've seen uh, throughout Man, how many practices have we seen A this offseason? Probably <laughs> like probably close to 30. 30. So we've seen quite a bit of practice and, and obviously um, for that coach of the year thing, recruiting goes into it a little bit as well. We're going to start with MVP. So I let Angie go first on Sunday. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hand it off to her again here on Thursday as we talk defense. Your MVP from Oregon State's offseason okay. on the defensive I, side of the ball. Defensive side. I'm going with Katana Ladapo. We've seen um, him make plays time and time again. Um, just really impressed. I mean, I think he had a really good season last season, um, and he seems to have taken a, a step forward again. So I'm going MVP of Katana Ladapo. It's a pretty solid pick and and somebody who uh, I was also going to take, and, and so now I'm going to oh! think on the fly here. Um, there are multiple guys who are, who are worthy of, of this pick, but Oladapo 
in particular is is somebody who in my opinion went underappreciated last year you know whether it's we're talking media you know ourselves even yeah, uh, yeah. fans you know the tv broadcast not somebody who is recognized as much of a playmaker on on Oregon State's defense but you look at the stat sheet and he led the team in pass breakups he was right up there in the top five in tackles as well and he wasn't even a starter at the beginning of the year yeah. Um, so I, I think what we what we saw from him last year um, really carried over into the offseason. And now he is kind of one of those guys that we're looking at in the defensive backfield as a reason why that group uh, is, is primed to have so much success. I'm kind of I'm trying to ramble on here so I have time to think <laughs> about who my pick is going to be. Um, I I might throw Corey Stover into that okay. conversation. Yeah, solid. Just. Shoot, I, I might want to actually save him for most improved. This is tough. You know what? I, I'm going to take the easy way out and and go with Oladapo as well, just because okay. yeah, he, I mean, he, I think he was going it. to be I, my pick. Yeah. Um, somebody who, you know, when we're writing down who makes plays in our notebooks at practice every day, not a day goes by where I don't have his name or, or number in there. And, and I think you made a really good point, and I'm guilty of this too. I don't think he got the credit last season mm -hmm. um, that he deserved. And I think part of that might have been, you know, he's a walk, former walk-on. He didn't start beginning of last season, um, but he really just continued to grind and make plays and was one of those just quiet contributors that, like you said, you don't really even realize it until the end of the season. You're looking at the stat sheets, and you're like, dang, he, he was all over the place. But this was based on offseason. And, again, every single day, Carter, you and I wrote down 28. Yeah. Okay, so I'll let you go first this time for most improved on defense. I was just gonna say before we go there, his his orange hair. I mean, oh, so many guys on on Oregon State's defense are rocking orange hair. In fact, if you're listening to this on Thursday, wait about 12 hours and and check BeaverBlitz.com for a, a pretty fun feature on uh, this orange hair trend that that took the team by storm throughout the month of August. But his orange hair is. I, I think it's the best of anyone's. And, and that's saying a lot because Achille Arnold has some pretty sweet orange hair. But say, yeah, Achille Arnold. Oladapo actually rocked blue hair for about two years before this. So, yeah, um, yeah kind of a kind of a smooth transition for him there going to orange. But I, I, I'm going to transition here to the, the most improved award, which I already basically handed out to Corey Stover. So Corey at, at the outside linebacker position didn't play a ton last year. Hadn't played a ton throughout his young career. Uh, but was he was one of those original Jonathan Smith recruits. I, I think he was part of that first or second recruiting class that came in uh, under Jonathan Smith's leadership and was somebody who we look to as, you know, to be one of those first guys, one of those first Jonathan Smith products uh, to step up. And I think this offseason, he he finally took a huge leap. Um, and, and we both project him to be, if not a starter, very close to it. And, and I think he could very well be a week one starter at outside linebacker, which is a position of immense competition, a lot of high end talent there in that room. Uh, so the fact that he has consistently been running with the first teams and making plays while doing it, mind you, getting into the backfield, being a leader of the pass rush uh, is, is really impressive and, and not something that we had seen at this or, you know, up until this point in his career. So an easy pick for me for most improved on the defense. Uh, my most improved, I'm going with Kyrie Fisher. Um, I, and I think, you know, that goes back to the question about who's going to fill in for um, Avery Roberts and, and fill those shoes. And, and Carter, you'll know, because I mean, nothing against Kyrie, because I think he's a great player, but I actually 
I kind of argued with you a little bit in July when we sat down to make the depth chart because I actually thought Easton Mascarenas was going to win that spot. And he very well could be put. I mean, I, I think if Easton's healthy, I think we see a lot of him. Um, but I've been super, super impressed with the play of Kyrie Fisher, um, the leadership, and, and then he was voted captain. So um, in my opinion, I really think he's stepped up and um, has earned kind of where he's at right now. And I'm excited for him because I think it's it's very well deserved. The only reason I wouldn't pick him for most improved is because I think we already saw what he can bring to the table in, in the final two games of last year. Uh, he started against Arizona State, I believe yeah. it was, uh, with Avery Roberts out with injury and then came in for the bowl game. And uh, and I think I, I want to say he had 10 tackles in that game. Yeah. Uh, so he, he set career highs and tackles multiple times last year. I, I remember he had a big game against Idaho as well. Uh, so I didn't pick him there just because I feel like, in my opinion, he's already done it. But to Angie's credit, uh, he, he really has stepped up this offseason into a leadership role. Uh, and, and I think that was really the key next step for him was to kind of blossom into this leader on, on, on the team. And I think uh, when you watch Oregon State take the field week one, you're going to see him as a, a pretty big time playmaker as well. Yeah. And like Carter can attest, when we sat out here in my patio doing our, our depth chart and planning session. And we, we, he won. I, I, I still wanted to put, I had put Easton on number one on my depth chart and he, Carter won, won that battle. But I do think we're going to see a lot of both of them though. Oregon state yeah. is very much known for its rotation at, at pretty much every position, yeah. especially at, at linebacker where they have so much talent, the best position group award of the off season on the defense. Angie, I know where you're going with this, but, um, yeah, just let's let's hear it. Tell tell me why the secondary is the best group on this team. <laughs> well, goodness, Carter. I mean, honestly, again, so back in July when we sat down and we're we're kind of planning, you look at that secondary, and you could actually make an argument for like six or seven guys to be like starters. If if Alton Julian's healthy, I mean, you have Rajon Wright, you have Katon, um, yeah, or um. Achille Arnold, Alex Austin. I mean, you go down this list and there's so many players that could be starting. Um, I have not seen a, a position group this deep um, and this full of playmakers. Um, and that's not even, I, then I even left out Jaden Grant, who, yeah, um, I, I just, we're watching these guys make play after play after play on the ball. Um, they, they're playing, you know, I think it took a few years to play, you know, they, they had so much turnover. When you look back, um, position coaches, even going back to the Gary Anderson days. I mean, gosh, you asked Jaden Grant, how many coaches, position coaches he's played for. And it's, it's probably five. I think it's five. Um, so there's been a lot of turnover. There's been um, kind of some turmoil there, but they're finally playing. I, I really feel that they're playing in the identity of, of blue Adams. And I think talking, going back to Trent Bray a little bit, I think Trent Bray's attitude and blue Adams attitude very much meld. They're both very high mm -hmm. energy guys. Um, Very charismatic. I, charismatic. Um, I love when we get a chance a chance to talk to Coach Adams, but that energy, that run out there, um, be in the middle of it. Um, I, I just think that secondary finally is starting to kind of come into their own. And um, we they took their lumps for several years, but I think this is a year that all that kind of pays off and, and we see it, the dividends paid off. We had a question come in uh, through the YouTube chat from Aiden Hill asking if we think anyone has Jordan Poyer potential, and I want to save that to the second part of the show uh, when we go position by position. 
But I'm just going to echo Angie's thoughts there. Again, I don't want to dive too deep into this group yet because yeah. we do still have that second half of the show, but uh, I'll, I'll hand the best position group award to the secondary as well. But I do think that the inside linebackers are, are pretty close behind. Yeah. So I'll, I'll lead things off for coach of coach. the year. And this one is kind of tricky because I think all of the coaches have really shown improvement this offseason, whether it's uh, Leggy Suyanoa on the recruiting trail, whether it's Trent Bray stepping into a new role or Anthony Perkins uh, doing a great job developing those DBs or, or Blue Adams taking the DBs to the next level. I think you can look at every coach and say that they've mm -hmm. done great things. Um, but I think it's hard not to give coach of the year, coach of the offseason to Trent Bray, who has done an incredible job of putting his mark on this defense and, and really transforming things. Uh, I think bringing the group closer together, uh, giving them a lot of confidence and, and just letting them play loose. I think what he has done uh, to turn this group around from where it was almost a year ago when Tim Tibisar was fired after that Colorado game to where it is now, uh, just the improvement that we've seen across the board, uh, that all has to go back to Trent Bray. And a great recruiter. I mean, Trent is mm -hmm. probably, a, and I will give a, an honorable mention to Leggy because I have been super critical because I don't think he's held his weight recruiting. Um, this year, he's really stepped up. I was going to have him on my hot seat this year um, just because I don't, I didn't think he had done a great job recruiting, but gosh, this year already, class of 2023, he's, I mean, arguably the highest rated recruit in Corvallis now in 20 years with Kelsey Howard. So um, that was leggy. So kudos to him, but I'm going with Trent Bray as well. Of course, those commitments have to sign their, yeah. their, uh, their NLI in a couple of months, but the fact that he got him to commit and, and others, you know, Kelsey Howard's not the only guy that, that coach Lange has, yeah. um, has recruited definite improvement there from the defensive line coach in Corvallis. We're going to come back after a quick break and go position by position down the Oregon state defense. And this is, it, it's fun because we can go really in depth here and, and drop all sorts of nuggets uh, on, on each position group, give some of our depth chart predictions, uh, but first, I got to tell you why you need to join BeaverBlitz.com. So BeaverBlitz.com is proud to be the leader in Oregon State football and men's basketball recruiting coverage. With access to the most talented and well-connected recruiting analysts in the nation, we're your source for all the latest scholarship offer, official visit, and transfer portal news. Year-round coverage of Oregon State football, men's basketball, baseball, and everything else within the athletic department makes BeaverBlitz.com the all-inclusive destination for in-depth analysis of all things Beaver sports. Join us today with a monthly or annual subscription to gain full access to our VIP articles, team of experts, and message board. Membership also grants the ability to chat with fellow Beaver fans and gain behind-the-scenes intel in the Lodge. You'll get all this and more, including access to all of the team sites across the 24-7 Sports Network with your subscription. So join today to keep up with all of your favorite teams and your rivals, too. Position by position on the Oregon State defense, starting with the oh, line. My foot's, going to sleep. my foot's going to sleep. Sorry. Uh oh, the stand line. up, stand up, Angie. Get some no, blood I just, flow. I, I know. I needed just. A, I was sitting on my foot, so that's not good. Gotcha. Okay, so let's talk defensive line. Isaac Hodgins, James Rawls, Simon Sandberg. Is that Ooh. your starting three? That is my starting three, but that's another most improved. James Rawls. Sorry, yeah. that's actually that's that... another. He could have actually competed for MVP. Maybe in hindsight, True. I should have given MVP to him. Uh, there was one day where he actually had two sacks in sacks. the scrimmage drills, uh, which, first of all, the last time 
we saw an Oregon State defensive lineman record more than one sack in a season. <laughs> I don't even know if Keontae Shad did that last year, and he was he, he was kind of a beast. So pretty rare. But uh, again, yeah. I, I think something you'll see a little bit more of uh, in, in the Trent Bray defense. I think that's our I, starting I, three. I think that's the starting three. Absolutely. Um, I think. Um, but we're going to, again, like kind of in the past years, we're going to see a lot of movement, a lot of rotation. Um, but like I said, I, I like Rawls. I'm so happy that Isaac Hodgins is back as well. Um, I think that adds adds another chunk to uh, Oregon State's defensive front. Hodgins' health was well, one of the things that I think held Oregon State back last year, just losing your most experienced player. I mean, not even in that position group, but the most yeah. experienced player on the defense. He had more starts than anyone. Uh, and that includes Jaden Grant, who is going into his seventh year of college football. <laughs> Isaac Hodgins was yeah. the most experienced player last year, and you didn't have him on the field. And I think that really limited what the front seven was able to do. So getting his reliability, his consistency, and his ability to to kind of plug gaps and, and get into the backfield uh, is going to raise the bar for the defensive line. But Angie kind of touched on the the heavy rotation we expect at this position. Yeah. I mean, I'd, in the like, past... No- Joe Golden is another one that comes to mind too, mm-hmm. that new name that Beaver fans aren't going to be necessarily aware of. So there's, there's a nugget for you guys to um, make you guys sound smart when you're talking with your friends, Joe Golden transfer um, watch for him. So the rotation I think has kind of helped and hurt Oregon state yeah. recently, because obviously you can't have, you know, your, your big linemen on the field for every play. They just, they don't have the, the stamina, the endurance to do that. Um, you know, they're, they're in the trenches battling with, with huge 300 pound linemen. So you have to rotate guys through, but Oregon state hasn't had the depth at this position to avoid drop-offs when they bring backups in this year. I think we see a little bit more of that depth. Joe Golden is a name that I'm looking at to provide a boost to that second unit. Thomas CEO with another year of experience at defensive line under his belt, uh, has the potential to make some plays at, at defensive tackle. I actually think he is really agile for a 350-pound beast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he he chased Chance Nolan out of the pocket a couple of times in, in practice, which I was really impressed by. Didn't necessarily get to the quarterback every time, but uh, he was at the very least wreaking havoc, which is pretty impressive yeah. from a guy of that size. And then Tavis Shippen, somebody who came in from, from JUCO a couple of years ago who you know we've really been waiting for him to break out. Is this the year, Carter? I'll say it again. I'll say it again. This could be the year. Yeah. He's just he has to prove it. But I think the fact that you've got three guys uh, that you can look to there in that second group and say, yeah, they have the potential to make a lot of plays. Uh, that is very telling of of increased depth in in yeah. the defensive line group. Thomas Co. Two, um, just an, a little tidbit. He is the strongest guy in the team. So that that always helps. He may not be the fastest, but three fifty. If you can get back in the backfield and, and cause some cause some havoc that you know can lead to an errant throw or uh you know a bad decision so that's always a positive too big and strong yes. but angie with with all of this hype that we yes. just gave the defensive line is it still in your opinion the least talented group on the team yes from hate, from top to bottom just the to overall bottom. group you know and I, and I think and i think that's it sounds I don't want to sound negative, but when you look top to bottom of where the staff and and recruiting, how it's picked up and improved um, under the past, over the past four years under coach Smith, um, this is still the area. And okay. Rightfully so. I mean, defensive line is, is the toughest area to recruit. It's, it's hard to find these guys 
unless you're an SEC country, somehow they, they don't have problems. But um, that, that's why a lot of teams have gone to a 3-4 defense, to be completely honest, because it's a lot easier to find one than it is to find two uh, big D tackles that are agile, big, strong, fast. Um, so I do. I, I think this area is still a little lacking some talent. I think we're going to make up for it with some scheme. And that's, you know, that's how you disguise this is, you know, you, you have some different blitz packages. You bring those outside linebackers in. Um, and I think Trent Bray will figure out a way to, to make that happen to kind of hide some of the, the deficiencies there, but, um, or mask them the best you can. But I do think it is the best D-line unit we've seen at Oregon State in the last four years. Again, not a knock against any of these yeah, individual yeah, players no, I, because you look at Isaac Hodgins and, you know, he's a potential all-conference player. James Rawls is one of the most improved players on the team. But I think when you look top to bottom, you take the whole group into account. The depth is probably the most questionable. Yeah. Uh, receiver might might have yeah, some similar Yeah, receiver and D-line, I think, are, are my two biggest question marks this year. But yeah. like you said, we're not trying to knock anybody because I, I do think these guys are – and it, and like I said, more talent than we've seen in four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the floor is rising for the Oregon state football team. When we're talking about the defensive line still being perhaps the weakest unit on the team, but definitely much better than it has been in years past. And one of those areas that we've seen that improvement come has been in the running game where the defensive line has, has really held its own and plugged a lot of gaps throughout practice. You know, we haven't seen the big 50-yard runs that we've seen in the past with the likes of Jamar Jefferson, B.J. Baylor in practice, you know, toting the rock for 40, 50 yards uh, at a time seemingly every day. That was, uh, you know, one of the concerns that we had with the defense in the past was you, know, you don't want to see that in camp. Um, well, I, I only recall one. Um, at that mm-hmm. scrimmage, we we watched, um, I believe, Damian Martinez broke free. But other than that, they were very well contained. Yeah. Jam Griffin had a 20-yard run as he well did. that, that I right. can think back to. But outside of that, no, that, that group of defensive linemen and, and inside linebackers has done a great job of really holding their own at the point of attack, which, of course, has been one of Oregon State's main weaknesses as an entire team the last few years is, is containing the run. We have to move on to linebacker and and we're going to split this up, go outside first and then inside. So at the outside linebacker position, I think you see a handful of potential starters. John McCartan is the only one that strikes me as a lock to start outside of that. I I think Corey Stover and Andrew Chatfield are, are in a battle there to, to earn the starting job. And I think, you know, that could just be a matchup thing week by week. You might see one of them in the lineup and, and the other is the, the first guy off the bench. Riley Sharp is somebody who started a bunch of games for Oregon State. I think he's a, a primary backup in that group as well. And then Samisi Saluni played a decent amount last year uh, and adds adds some depth to that group. Is, is that kind of how you see that that too deep shaken out there? That's that's exactly how I see it. I, I think he, McCartan is a beast, by the way. I mean, Oregon State missed him a lot last year with it with his hamstring, nagging hamstring injury. But mm-hmm. um, he looks 100% and better. I mean, that guy is going to be a beast, keep him healthy. But um, I like what we've seen from Riley Sharp. I've I've been kind of critical of Riley Sharp over the years because I I kind of felt that he maybe was a little more suited to an inside backer role, but um, he showed some speed and aggression. I think Samisi Saluni is going to be a name to watch, a younger guy. I I don't, like you said, I think he's more of a reserve right now. Uh, Andrew Chatfield's showing some flashes. And um, yeah, I think, and, and Corey Stover, like you said, has really, really come on strong. So I think that's a great four that, you know, you look at for two deep. 
And Chatfield is a guy whose potential is probably even higher than anybody else in that group, just because, you know, he transferred him from Florida and was an impact player on an SEC team, Mm -hmm. uh, which obviously, you know, those guys don't come out to the Pac-12 every day. And so to get him in your outside linebacker group, I I think really raises the, uh, raises the potential of your pass rush quite a bit. As far as health goes, Angie mentioned uh, John McCartan getting back to full strength. Unfortunately, one member of this group did go down with a what looks to be a season-ending injury in camp. So Ryan Frankie, who has battled injuries throughout his young career already, uh, is probably out for the year with a leg injury, according to Jonathan Smith. Uh, sustained that in the first scrimmage of fall camp back about two weeks ago. So And we didn't see it. So it tells me it might be an ACL because we didn't see. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they carted him off, but um, no, no word, just leg injury at this point. And I, I think the fact that Oregon State made it out of camp so healthy, you know, only one major injury to speak of is pretty impressive because it seems like every year there's at least one or two major ones and and really a, a handful of, you know, muscle pulls and stuff like that that uh, sideline guys down the stretch. But really, I think more guys came back from injuries than went down with them in camp, which was kind of striking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw some dings and, you know, Anthony Gould went down hard um, during one of the practices early on. He's, he's okay now. Um, at first I thought it was shoulder, then I thought concussion, but he's back, so he's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we've seen some guys sit out for little little tweaks, but nothing nothing looking major. Back to the outside linebackers in, in particular, I think you expect a lot more aggression from this group this year. Uh, the Trent Bray aggressive style defense is going to start on the edges, in my opinion. And from what I've seen, you know, they really want to establish that that pass rush, get guys into the backfield. Uh, and they're going to use the outside, the outside linebackers to do it. And they have guys in McCartan, Sharp, Stover, who, you know, have gotten tackles for loss and, and sacks in the past in their careers. McCartan and Sharp in particular yeah. uh, have been among the team leaders in sacks. I, I think you're just going to see them rack those up this year as they're really let loose. Um, as we mentioned, four or five potential starting caliber players in this group. So the staff has a lot to work with. I think that makes the scheme even more effective uh, and and really is I think one of the strengths of, of this team right now is, is just the ability that you see at the linebacker position. We're going to move inside now and, and talk inside linebacker. So we mentioned Avery Roberts, obviously moving on to the NFL. Omar Spates is that next guy up yeah. in that group. Uh, as, as far as leadership goes, he, he's been tasked with taking on a leadership role, mm-hmm. becoming more vocal, uh, which I think he's done a great job with. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've seen. Even meeting with the media. I mean, mm-hmm. he did a great job. And and this is a, a young man who has kind of shied away from wanting to talk to us um, in the past. And, and I think the staff actually said, you, we need you to step up. And, and he's embraced that role. Kyrie Fisher. Um, to the point he where he's a captain. He's a captain. Exactly. Um, you know, he, he I think he almost relied. Avery almost did more of the, the speaking when he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, those two were, I know, brothers at arms. But um, to have him stepping into a more vocal leadership role. And then Kyrie Fisher has always kind of been more of a vocal guy, I think is big because those are the guys. I mean, that middle linebacker, those are your, I mean, not only are they the captains of the team, but they kind of are the, the center for the whole defense. And they're the guys going to be calling plays and you need those guys to really um, have a handle on the defense and, and know the system. Kyrie Fisher, of course, as we mentioned already is also a team captain. Exactly. So your two starting inside linebackers are captains and, yeah. 
Um, I, I don't think there's anything else you could ask for of, of those guys than to be field generals yeah. uh, leading the defense. It, it has been the most important position on the Oregon State defense since Jonathan Smith took over. You know, the, the Tim Tibasar scheme really emphasized um, getting those guys to the ball. And I think you're still going to see a lot of that with, with Coach Bray. It's just the pressure is going to be taken off of them a little yeah. bit. Well, and I think that was part of the problem last year. And I know we're not talking last year, so I don't want to dive too much, but I felt too many times that Avery and Omar were trying to do too much and trying to cover things that really weren't their assignment. And then the defense struggled. So if they're able to just focus on their job, I think the entire defense will be better. And one area which I think we're going to see them show a lot of improvement in is they're going to be playing a lot closer to the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. So again, going back to this aggressive attack, attack style defense, the linebackers aren't going to be positioning themselves five, six yards downfield. You're going to see a lot more of them moving up to the ball, particularly in the run game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- they're going to look to make plays at the line of scrimmage rather than being kind of the, the quote unquote second line Wait, of yeah. defense. They're going to be part of that first line and, and help the D line uh, plug the holes in the running game. So I think you'll see immediate improvement in, in run defense just mm-hmm. because of that. Um but but again, w- with that too, I, I think that does put a little bit more pressure on them because you know if you're playing at the the line of scrimmage, your help is 15 yards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it puts a lot more pressure than on your secondary because now you've yeah. lost that safety net. But I think this secondary, and we don't want to jump ahead, but this secondary is is poised for that. So, um, but I do, and I and I again, just like the outside linebackers, you you really have a two deep then with with uh, Easton Mascarenas and um, uh, John Miller um, and, of course, Jack Hammer, the Jack who, Hammer himself. Who just released some pretty sweet merch, by the oh, way. Oh, did he? Okay. Okay. So um, Jack Coletto, um, which, gosh, I almost think overall we just have to give him MVP because he's like team MVP because he does it all. But um, I, that gives you five legit guys in the middle that uh, can come in and make plays. So I think that's exciting. So we just named like 10 guys at the linebacker position yeah, who I mean, are, are probably going to play and, and and play quite a bit. And at least half of them are starting caliber players. Yeah. So you know, we talk about the secondary being the, the strength of this defense, but for the last four years, it's been the linebackers that have led the way. And it's, it's very possible that that group has more talent and depth than the defensive backfield this year. So let's move into the DBs okay. and we'll start at the safety position, which I think if the defensive backfield is, is defense backfield is the strength of the team, the safety position is the strength of the group, which makes this potentially the best position group on the team. So the reason that I am so high on this group mm-hmm. is, is just because I think your entire two deep is potentially starters. like high level starters, yeah. not just starters, yeah. but like all conference caliber starters, uh, which is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because you have a ton of guys at your disposal, but it's a bad thing because you're going to have all conference caliber players sitting on your bench when you take the field for that first play against Boise state. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you and I trying to come up with a two deep, our preseason depth chart. I mean, how, in in what world would you be making a depth chart where Jaden Grant didn't make the the cut? I mean, seriously, that's, that's kind of where Carter and I were at some point because he's moved to safety. He will play nickel if they need him, but, you know, he's more suited to play safety. He's not great in coverage. So him playing safety is it's a great move for him and for his future. But gosh, you get Alton Julian back, who I thought was having, 
I thought he was the best safety on the team before he got injured last year. Um, and then Katano Ladapo, he kind of stepped into the role. So now you have those two and Jaden. Um, it's just what, and then is it Killy Arnold? It's your other yeah. safety, right? So, yeah. gosh, I mean, it's, it's kind of the, it's embarrassment of riches right there at safety. Now having Grant at safety, I think also, I, I think it lets Julian kind of ease back into yeah. things. I, I don't think you see as much of a kind of an urge to get him on the field uh, too early on in his recovery. Of, of course, Alton Julian coming back from a torn ACL that he suffered against Utah last year, midway through the season. He uh, he's returned to practice. He's actually, yeah. I, I've seen him do some seven on seven work. Uh, so he's, he's very close to, to yeah. reaching full strength. I think it's just a matter of kind of ramping him up. But that's so I don't necessarily midway. know if he's, you know, at, at a, a heightened risk for, for re-injury or anything, but you, you certainly don't want to rush a guy back from an injury of, of, of that uh, severity. So having Grant there, I think, does kind of give them the ability yeah. to, to ease him back into things. So, okay, I, I, going back to Aiden Hill's question here, Jordan Poyer, um, do you believe anyone has that potential um, in the safety room to be similar to Jordan? Um, okay. So when I think of Jordan Poyer, I, I think of his interceptions, Yeah. uh, just, you know, the, the athleticism he mm -hmm. showed to be able to jump up and make plays and then return them too for, for mm -hmm. a lot of yardage. Um, it's interesting because, you know, Alton Julian's kind of a, a hard hitting guy and, and mm -hmm. somebody who's, who's more about containment. I don't necessarily know that he's a jump up and grab the ball kind of guy. Um, Achille Arnold has that. Yeah. ability but i don't know that he has the high-end talent that jordan poyer had so if i had to pick I, i'd probably say oladapo and what because, a story both mm -hmm. oregon walk-on in-state yeah. kids oladapo his his strength is you know it's it's his ball skills it's yeah, a, his, ball his skills. ability to get into the passing lane and, and knock the ball down mm -hmm. uh, and he had a couple of interceptions last year too so if anybody has jordan poyer potential it just in, in terms of play style I think it's Oladapo, yeah. but in, in terms of talent, Alton Julian. Alton Julian, yeah, because Poyer would lay the wood too. He'd hit, make hits. So, um, yeah, that's. I just want to go back to that question, but the safety group is it's exciting to me. And then corner, what what are your thoughts on the corners? So the corners, you look at Alec, uh, sorry, Alex Austin, and Rajon Wright as the two starters there. Austin coming back as an incredibly improved coverage guy. Uh, and then Wright is kind of your, maybe not necessarily so much this year, but but definitely last year, kind of a boomer bust guy who's either going to yeah. make a great play on the ball or get beat. Uh, and he's really worked on his tackling this offseason. He, he mentioned that that was one of the things that held him back from making the leap to the NFL last year. And I know that a lot of fans were, were kind of clamoring for him to, to show improvement there. So I think that's great to hear. Uh, the fact that this is an NFL tryout year for him, uh, you know, this is his last year. He's a senior. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's going to be playing with with not necessarily a chip on his shoulder, but but some added motivation of you know wanting to join his brother in the league. Uh, so those two guys are are high end corners who I think are among some of the better corners in the conference this year. And then behind them, you have Skylar Thomas and Jaden Robinson, who are both two really impressive up and coming guys, younger. Uh, you know, haven't really seen the field as much who Angie and I have both been really impressed with uh, over the last two years. Do you, I have a question and you might be, this might be going way back in the way back machine for you. Do you see any similarities between Alex Austin and maybe Keenan Lewis started really young in their career, took their lumps, 
but then really kind of came on their junior and senior year. I'm going to lean on you for that one because Keenan Lewis is before my like, you okay. know, really yeah, I, having knowledge of how football operates, you know. Because I'm old, see? Sure, sure. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it. But. Yeah, you don't want to say it. So, yeah, I actually do. I see some similarities there. And so, um, so I was trying to make you look really smart, Carter, but then you don't want to. You set me up, but. I did yeah, set sorry. you up. I teed you up. No, I do. I, I think that I, I'm watching for that because I really do expect big things from Alex Austin this year. Another year of improvement for those two uh, those two high upside starters uh, in in Wright and Austin I think should do wonders for the defensive backfield uh, having you know two of potentially the, the top corners in the conference there alongside a bunch of guys who I just mentioned have that potential at safety as well you're just looking at a very well rounded group of guys who have played a handful of years each in this system and to get yeah uh, who have together. continued to grow develop. And, and I think the big thing at, at the corner position and, and, you know, at safety as well, but per, particularly at corner is just getting, getting game reps. Yeah. That's it's, it's one of the positions just like offensive line. I, I think these two positions are very similar in this way where the best way to improve at these positions outside of, you know, you can lift all the weights you want. You can get all of the practice reps you can, but the only way to truly improve at these positions is to get game reps against other opponents. Um, you know, at, at corner, Alex Austin getting matched up uh, matched up against Drake London last year. Man, he struggled. But yeah. did it make him better? Absolutely. Absolutely, because after that game, we saw him make absolute amazing strides and, in his development. I mean, to be honest, it's hard for most people to cover Drake London. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and people, I mean, I was frustrated too with all the PIs, but you either take a PI or you're letting him score. So, yeah. um, I mean, that was kind of the Beaver strategy is like, okay, take the PI and instead of just giving him the wide open field and, and you, you're right, he got so much better when, when you go up against some of the best talent, it's going to make you that much better. One last position in the secondary where we're, we're going to go pretty quickly through this is, is Nickelback. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Jaden Grant. We'll see probably some time yeah. in that role. That has been the Jaden Grant position for about three years now. Uh, he'll, he'll see a little time there, I, I think, if Oregon State wants to get uh, Julian on the field with him as well as Oladapo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ryan Cooper Jr., the, the junior college transfer this year, uh, an instant impact newcomer who's who's going to play in that nickel position and potentially some at corner as well. And then Ron Harge, the third, uh, saw a little bit of action there last year. I think you yeah. see him a bit this year too. But we've got a couple of minutes left. So Angie, I'm going to throw some, some really okay. quick general predictions for the defense your way. So we did the same thing with the offense. I asked if the offense was going to score more points or fewer points than they did per game last year. Will the defense allow more points or fewer points per game than they did last year? Fewer. I think that's an easy one. Yeah, that's going to be fewer. I, I think we're both on board uh, with with the Trent Bray system. We're we'll, we're pretty both you know we're both pretty high on on yeah. the potential of the group, and I, I just don't think there's any way that the group is worse than last year. I mean, I, I, mean, I haven't seen a de- I haven't seen a defense get me this excited about the season since 2012. Okay, next so, question. Is the okay. defense better than the offense? Yes. That I still, is saying I have, a ton. Because I have too many questions about receivers and, and quarterback. Yeah, that is saying a ton considering where how those been. two groups yeah. stacked up against each yeah. other last year where Oregon State's offense was one of the best in the Pac-12 and the defense was one of the worst. So are you, in, are you in agreement with me? 
I, I agree. I, I think what I've seen in camp suggests that the defense pretty much won every day of practice yeah. that we saw, yeah. uh, which you want to see in camp. But again, we hadn't seen it in the past. So that's where the optimism comes from. Really quickly, the strength and weakness of the defense. Well, I, I was going to, I mean, my initial strength is, is the secondary, but gosh, you're making a point for the, for the linebackers. And I, I think mm-hmm. the weakness, I think it's still going to be the pass rush, but I think it's going to be way improved. The weakness until I see otherwise is the defense's ability to force turnovers. Yeah. Takeaways have, yeah. have takeaways have not been where they need to be in the last couple of years. It's It's been a point of emphasis for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, but I know that, that Trent Bray has been harping on it this year as well. Right. One. That's where we stand on our thoughts on the Oregon state defense. Angie and I are both really high on them. Uh, you can hear more of our predictions for this season on Sunday. When we come back for another very special episode of the damn podcast, we're going to go game by game on Oregon state's schedule, predict wins and losses. Do we see Oregon state getting back to a bowl game? Do we see them competing for the PAC 12 championship? What is the ceiling? What is the floor? We're going to answer those questions and more when we come back on Sunday with a couple of guests from the Beaver Blitz staff. It's going to be a fun one, so be sure not to miss it. Head to Beaver Blitz throughout the weekend and, and of course, into next week as we get into game week uh, for your source of Oregon State football news as we reach the football season. Exciting times. You can follow Angie on Twitter at Angie Machado one I'm at Carter Baines, and we'll be back on Sunday for another episode of the damn podcast.